The following message is from the 2012 IBCD Summer Institute, Changed by Grace. Father in heaven, we thank you for the mercies that are poured out on us through the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we thank you that you are God and that we are not. We pray, O oh God, that you might humble us. And we pray, Lord, that as we try to reflect on the past uh, 40, 50 years or so, <clears throat> that, Lord God, it might be actually a helpful endeavor. We pray for each uh, person that's here. We pray that you'd meet his or her needs in terms of getting the gospel truth and knowing how to apply it to our own lives and in the lives of others. And we thank you again that you're very patient with us. And we thank you that uh, we are secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for your love. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for your sacrifice and Holy Spirit for doing the dirty work of cleaning us up. And, and we pray that we will be more and more fit vessels for having been here over these, last, uh, these next couple of days. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay. Uh, history of the biblical counseling movement. Okay. This is my take on it. Okay. In the sense that I'm old enough to have been there at the beginning. <clears throat> Uh, I would say I'm about two or three years late in terms of being involved. I got involved when I was at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, where Jay Adams was teaching. <clears throat> That's when I was converted. I was converted in seminary, uh, partly through Jay Adams and Jack Miller, teachers that were there. That's another story. I won't bore you with all the details of how I got there. Chuck Smith says they're cemeteries, but I got raised from the dead in one, so I'll be eternally grateful, and I don't think it's the worst thing that can happen to you. So uh, in the midst of that, I started getting involved with Jay Adams. Uh, the involvement was such that Competent to Counsel, you know, which was the first book, wasn't even written at that point in terms of final copy. It was mimeographed at that point. And if you're too young to know what mimeograph is, I'll explain to that to you later, okay? But that's where we were. So I heard uh, basically everything that Jay said through supper seminars as I saw him counsel and learn to do that. Now, that's just kind of my background. So in a sense, this is an insider. Uh, I was at CCEF. I was the director at one point back in Philadelphia. Uh, Then I went into the pastorate in New Jersey for eight years. And at that point, they asked me to come out and start CCEF West. Okay, Um, I won't bore you with all the details why they finally decided to make it something different. And so they said, can't be CCEF anymore. You know, go independent, do your own thing. And so at that point, we became the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. And you're here at the conference. Uh, We chose that name. At that point, we decided it's a ministry of the word. We're not going to charge. So if you're pastors and you have churches, uh, it's a shameless plug. I'm not involved anymore, so I can ask. Please give to support IBCD. They don't charge for the counseling, okay? So it's always a scramble. And as Jim said, you left us a terrible uh, ministry model. We lose money every year. I said, well, that's nothing new. We lost every year, too. And so uh, uh, we, we went under a local church. At that point, it was Bayview Orthodox Presbyterian Church down in Chula Vista. And when we left the area, because Jim was doing such fine work up here in North County, you know, we handed the ministry over to Grace Bible, and, and uh, that you know. So uh, let's look at the outline. I'm going to go through that, and I'm going to leave time at the end for questions. So again, this is, this is my take. Been there, done that before uh, what people call the second generation have been involved. Okay, so um, why study history? Well, why bother with history of the biblical counseling movement? Well, you're here because you want to learn about biblical counseling, so I assume that that's why. Uh, Biblical counseling movement, I think, is significant. Uh, David Pallison wrote uh, his doctoral thesis for Penn, University of Pennsylvania, competent to counsel, question mark, the history of a conservative Protestant anti-psychiatry. Okay, so anti-psychiatry uh, in the circles means Thomas Zaz and other psychiatrists 
who basically were mostly anti-meds, wanted to treat people more humanely and not make it just a medical thing, but a moral thing. So SAS and others started what they call the anti-psychiatry movement. They're all psychiatrists. And that's why he chose that title, because he's writing for a secular university. Now, it's been updated, and you can get it. New Growth Press uh, republished it 2010, almost as it is, except for two appendices where he thinks that they're significant. So you can read his take on it. He also, DAP is David A. Pallison, does biblical counseling really work and totally sufficient, which was edited by Heinzen and Eirich. Um, and then there's a new book out, okay? I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's called The Biblical Counseling Movement After Adams by Heath Lambert, who this is his doctoral work for Southern Seminary, okay? So he is writing that, and we'll look at these things. So I think, B, the battle over the Bible. Now, most of you are too young to remember this, but back in the 70s and and 80s, there was what was called, Harold Linzel wrote a book called The Battle for the Bible. And most people don't remember it. The Infallibility and Inerrancy of Scripture. And uh, a lot of people, the 1800s, 1900s, saw critical scholarship that basically, here's my sarcastic uh, response. I'm too weak to dig. I'm too proud to beg. I don't believe the Bible anymore, but it's the only thing I need to do, so I'm going to remain a New Testament scholar. Okay? So, you know, all these crazy reasons why John couldn't have written the Gospel of John, you know, etc., all these kinds of things, uh, stupid things, that only liberals would want to, uh, to support because, again, you have to be innovative and come up with something new. Uh, I, here's my dictum. I never had a significant thought before I became a Christian, and I've never had an original one since. Okay? And, and I think that's the safest place to be because it's the old paths. It's tracing God's thoughts after him in Scripture. So we, and, and the battle for the Bible is now extended to even Bible-believing circles. As, is the Bible sufficient? Is the Bible sufficient for all pastoral ministry, or do we need something else? Now, obviously, we need wisdom, other people's experience we can learn, but do we really need something beyond the Scriptures? And that's the real battle now. So I'll try to be like Fox News. Sorry if that's not your favorite, but I'll report and you decide. Okay, so let's look at this. First of all, you need a grasp of biblical and secular history. Now, just as an overview... Looking at the world today, and all kinds of crazy things are happening in Western culture and everywhere else in the world. Okay? So the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said, you know, a guy who lied about being a, a decorated hero and veteran it isn't wrong. The Supreme Court upheld that, see? Mm-hmm. Why? Because, well, then if he has to tell the truth there, he might have to tell the truth about committing adultery or disobeying parents or anything. Talk about fools who rule over us, people who sit there in the highest court and say, well, you know, there's other places where it's legitimate to lie. What is, is, <clears throat> you know, and, uh, and so on we go. Uh, we have people that, that don't understand. Now, why is that? Romans 1 gives you the answer. Professing themselves to become wise, they become fools. So you can't understand history, the history of the United States, or the history of Taiwan, or the history of China, or the history of Korea, or the history of Uganda, or any tribal group. You can't understand that without putting it in the larger history of what? Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It, it, it just doesn't fly. You can't understand secular history unless you understand his story. Okay? Because God's word and God's goal for every human being is the final word, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, the bottom line is you'll stand before the living God and he will read out an account of your life, everything you've thought, said, and done, and he'll answer, and especially, son, you have a real problem having two masters. Pray for our, our brother because he's a Navy chaplain. He's, he's got the... Typical two-master thing. He's got the chain of command. He's got Jesus Christ. 
and, and at this point, you know, I really do pray for you guys. We have a, an endorsing agency that sends out something, and we pray for a chaplain every day because <clears throat> they'll have to answer what? Your history and the larger history. And, of course, that's what they don't want to hear, whether it's at the Air Force Academy or any other place. Okay? <clears throat> so keep it in your church service, but in the change of command, they don't want to hear the name of Jesus. You can pray in any other, in any other God's name, it's very interesting. Nobody's asking the imams not to pray in the name of Allah. Okay? But it's Jesus is the most offensive, you know, because he's the real God. Okay? So counseling, okay? Here we think of counseling. What is counseling? Think about it. Whether it's in Africa or Asia in a tribal culture or here in America, sophisticated America, what is counseling? It is discipleship, okay? It is older people giving younger people, whether they want it or not, direction. This is what you need to do. This is what you need not to do. So counseling is primarily a function of the family or the clan. It's a really, in a sense, a biblical sense, it's a kingly function. It's a, a function of telling other people what's right and wrong and how to do that. And I'm sorry, you're, you're on your own. If you break that camera taking a picture of me, <laughs> I am not at all responsible. Okay. Uh, counseling is primarily that. But, but secondarily, you can see, counseling is also the work of religious leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and really, uh, priests, prophets, whether it's a Christian context or pagan, they're people giving people advice. They're the ones going over, looking, cutting up the animals and looking at their guts and going, oh, you better not go out to battle today because you know, it, it, it doesn't look really propitious here. Uh, so those functions... In, in, in biblical and secular history have to be meshed if you're going to understand what counseling is. Okay? And so it's a topic, I think, that would really be good for a doctoral study or something to study. What's the history of counseling in different cultures? To trace it out. And there's a, there's a book, uh, French sociologist De Collange wrote a long time called The Roman Family. And he made out a point that the Roman father had rights, kingly rights, priestly rights, prophetic rights, even to the point you remember that in the Roman Empire, the father says, I don't want that kid. So we'll just let the kid to die. And the Christians <clears throat> took those little kids in and spared their lives. But see, so, so it is, a, I think uh, it would be really well for somebody to sit down and study and say, look, this is what counseling is cross-culturally, and this is how we put it in the larger context of what we're trying to do here in Western culture. Secondly, next page, you need a grasp of the Protestant Reformation. So here you have uh, the priests and the prophets in Israel and elsewhere giving advice. Now we come to the Protestant Reformation, which I hope most of you won't be offended if I say it was a good thing. Okay? I have a hard time convincing people in the Czech Republic that it's, the Protestant Reformation was a good thing. Because, you know, under communism, everybody suffered, so there's no difference between Catholics, Protestants, whatever. Okay? Protestant Reformation wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. Okay? And what happened in the Protestant Reformation is I think the ancient pattern continues, but now a scriptural-based counseling model develops. If you read the Puritans, Baxter's you know, directory and other things, there's an awful lot of uh, questions of conscience and people struggling with depression, and they're trying to get a, a biblical construct of how to answer See? So it's not just a, a relationship. We're trying to bring the Word of God to bear on, on people's lives. And since then, uh, if you know anything of Western culture, we've been in a dogfight ever since the 15-1600s with the remnants of the Protestant Reformation and Western culture being secularized. And so in the culture, you have now secular counterparts to priests. And it's not just... Jay Adams or someone like me that would say this, non-Christians are saying that. Uh, and they've been saying that for 50 years. Psychiatrists are more like witch doctors. <laughs> you know, counselors are more like priests. They, they, they have this function of trying to tell people who they are and how to live. And so, just real quickly, if you study out counseling, uh, in the 1700s, 1800s, it begins to move over from what? philosophical theology or philosophy. If you, if you get a history text on psychology in Western culture, 
It always starts with the Greek philosophers and goes right on up to the 1700s. All psychology was done by philosophers. Who is man? What's wrong with him? How do you fix it? And then with science becoming a big deal, uh, now we begin to have people say, well, we've got to make this scientific. Studies, statistics, those kinds of things. So that's what's happening in the culture. Well, in the modern era, as I say here, 1750 to 1900, psychology develops as an empirical science as opposed to philosophical anthropology. 1900s to about 1950, psychology develops major schools and many offshoots. Any of you ever have a psych course or history psych course? Right, you know, the first force is, you know, Freud, and then the you know, second force is behaviorism, and then you have humanistic psychology and the fourth force. And, and now we, we're moved into a, a new era in this millennia of post-schools because, here's the irony, no one believes in truth anymore. When you think about that, San Diego State, USD, UCLA, they ought to wrap up and go home and stop having the schools. Because what does university mean? One unifying principle of truth that pulls it all together, and we have all these schools you know, in the universe. No one believes in that anymore. Okay? So everybody scrambles and is very eclectic and pulls it all together. Now, now it comes down to us at this point. Okay, So um, you see, uh, Harry... Uh, uh, Emerson Fosdick, um, I don't know if you ever heard that name. He's always big in Presbyterian circles because he preached a sermon in a Presbyterian church. He was a Baptist preacher, by the way, but preaching in Brick Presbyterian Church. And, he, he, and, and uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, Rockefeller Foundation sent this out to everybody, in the, all the pastors in the country. Shall the fundamentalists win? Shall the fundamentalists win? that's you in case you don't know you're the fundies you actually believe the Bible okay you know you're those Neanderthal people that actually believe in creation and that there was a real literal Adam and Eve and they actually you could have seen them and they had actual fruit and there is a heaven and hell and all that stuff uh, yeah yeah that's one I want to ask to have what were you doing talking to a snake I mean I, that one I can't figure out. It's like Narnia or what, all the taste. Okay. But here, here's what happens. Back in the 20s, when the liberals began to not believe the Bible and believe that you had to be born again and you had to have the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, they still cared about people. So what did they do? They had to create something in the gap for pastoral work. And that's where clinical pastoral education, CPE, came into existence, which is uh, rules most of the hospitals and chaplains in, in the military. You have to go through clinical pastoral education, which is not Bible-friendly. What it really is is that they took modern psychology and they brought it into the church. And, and you get that Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive, you know, and then you got uh, Schuler that's just a continuation of it, okay? Uh, power of positive thinking. This is psychology come into the church and transform. You must be born again. You need to be holy. You need to grow in grace. All of that's changed. Now, what happened, though, from 1950 to 1970, mainline churches, business as usual, Robert Schuler kind of thing. If you don't believe me, just get his abominable book, you know, Self-Esteem, the New Reformation, okay? So all that worm theology was really wrong, and, you know, we really need to build people's self-esteem up. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why y'all are still not solvent out here, because you spent almost a million dollars on trying to empty the prisons on building up uh, Viconcellos' uh, little deal of uh, building up everybody's self-esteem. Now, the sad thing is that uh, you have people <clears throat> who are trying to take the, the supposedly good in psychology and now help evangelical churches. And that's what began to happen in the 1950s with 
semi-good guys like uh, uh, Naramore and others. Uh, what happened was uh, the National Association of Evangelicals, Billy Graham, you know, they started that. Clyde Naramore began to move psychology into evangelical churches. See, before it was looked at suspicion because the liberals do it. Now, you don't want to get guilt by association, right? Because sometimes bad people do stuff that's okay. And sometimes the good guys do stupid things and sinful things. That's why we still need Jesus. Okay? But uh, that's what was happening. Well, the biblical counseling movement, uh, if you've read Competent to Counsel, you can see where that came up with Jay. Okay? 1965 to the present. Jay Adams started us off. Now, Jay Adams was, you know, Jay is very interesting. He's a close friend of mine. And uh, Jay is this interesting kind of guy, just as an aside. He's what I call a hyper learner. Anything he gets interested in, he wants to learn. I can still remember like a 45-minute dissertation he gave me. We were going somewhere one time in Jersey. And he's telling me about the life cycle of gerbils. (laughs) <laughs> how they reproduce and you know why because this kid had gerbils right so he, he he learned everything you could about gerbils even things that gerbils didn't know about gerbils <laughs> that's the kind of guy he was so so when he was given a course at Westminster to teach pastoral counseling he didn't know anything about it so he said I better start studying so he would get everything he'd get his hands on uh, he tells you about that and competent to counsel so he develops a new, or at least he attempts to make a new biblical model. Uh, Maurer, he went out and studied with him. Maurer didn't believe the gospel, uh, but uh, he, he provoked Jay to think. And uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later. Westminster, WTS, Westmer, Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. CCEF, by the way, Jay Adams and John Bettler started CCEF back in 67. They started that up in New Jersey, and then John Bettler said, well, why are we going up to New Jersey? Why don't we just do it down here in the Philly area because you're teaching there and I'm a pastor here. So they started doing that's when I got involved. John Bettler was my pastor, and Jay was going to that church uh, there in Hatboro, Pennsylvania, right outside. He writes, competent to counsel. Um, Somebody, uh, DeMoss, uh, you may not know the name, DeMoss is big in insurance companies, made a lot of money after World War II, set up a Christian foundation. They called a bunch of people in to the Philadelphia airport. Pallison mentions that in his book. Uh, And says, look, here's what Jay Adams is proposing. What do you think? He says, oh, I have some interesting ideas. Right or wrong, this is typical Jay. They said, you know, Jay, you're, you're probably right, and you have some good things to point out, but it's, it's just too, it's too black and white. You know, people are just not going to buy this. It's just too black and white. And he went back, and he said, I prayed about it, and he says, that's why they're not making a difference, because they're not willing to make a stand. So he made it even sharper, which, that's typical Jay, but it didn't endear him to, uh, to those people, you know. These were all professional Christian psychologists, you know. And uh, the rest is kind of history. And so that burr in the saddle at the beginning sort of did, you know, set that kind of agenda. So uh, 1970 to 79, Adams writes the major text, and Wayne Mack was writing, Competent the Council, uh, the Christian Counselor's Manual. Slightly after that, the uh, Theology of Christian Counseling. And uh, the four major ones, an Insight and Creativity in Counseling. Most people don't know that book but that's a read that you should look at. Okay, well then, what happens? There's a battle that goes on, and, and Pallison, I think, captures this fairly well in his book, is that uh, it's a love-hate relationship. You know, some of you guys know Neil Gant, right? Goes to your church. Well, Neil's brother came down, you know, and people respond differently. Some psychologists get so upset with Jay and get turned off, Rich, Rich was redeemed. <laughs> you know, Rich was going to teach out at the Rosemead. They gave off him a job. And Jay says, what? How much Bible do you know? Well, I don't know. You don't know anything. You can't go out there. You've got to come to seminary. So he came to seminary, got trained. If you want to read his book, it's called Psychobabble. It's got his, you know, many of you have read that. That's a wonderful testimony of God's grace to him. So all that time is going on. The biblical counseling movement 
um, is kind of small, uh, but I think significant. And at that time, we have a lot of ferment, and people don't like Jay Adams, and you know we're all sinners, and, and maybe we don't always do things perfectly. And, and Jay can rub people the wrong way at times, and I certainly can too. But uh, the battle begins to grow from 70 when competent counsel. And in the 80s, basically, Christian psychology really rebounds and becomes the big thing within the church. Wheaton gets a graduate school of psychology, Western Conservative Baptist, Dallas. Everybody basically jumps on the wagon of either Ph.D. in psychology or a D-psych, which is the same thing without the dissertation. Uh, meant for somebody who's going to practice. So really, in Bible-believing circles, you really have this kind of dogfight. And, and to be honest, I think Pallison is right, that basically in the 80s, the psychologists won. They, they really took over the church. The church got psychologized. And uh, you can read about that in Pallison's uh, thing, Integration, Inundation. Fuller, Rosemead, Wheaton... Western Conservative, Baptist, Dallas, they all kind of go that direction. And uh, let me clarify a side point here. People say, we get, I get confused when I read Jay. He says, everybody should be competent to counsel. But then he says, the pastor is God's counselor. Which is it? Well, it's both end. Okay. Who should evangelize? Everyone. But who has the job? The pastor can't, he can't avoid it. Do the work of an evangelist, Paul says to Timothy. So as we all evangelize, we all counsel. Some are gifted more than others, and some are called by nature the office of, of being a leader in the church. So uh, that, that's what happens. Well, 1990, uh, things begin to change. People become interested. And we're not getting so many negatives. What, what is this, all this Bible stuff, Bible stuff or whatever? And more and more people are saying, Hey, you know, I really think that the Bible really does have the answers. Can you train us? Yeah. So things are changing in the last 20 years in terms of the main fights because the psychologists just ignore us anyway. And uh, there is development. So four on page 68, you need to grasp the present developments of the biblical counseling. Evangelical church scene, there was what was called CAPS, the Christian Association for Psychological Studies in the 1950s. That got so liberal that even some of the evangelicals had to leave and form the AACC, American Association of Christian Counselors, okay, which still holds to the infallibility of Scripture, where CAPS doesn't. But they don't believe that the Bible is sufficient. They might say it, but I don't think they do. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism of the psychologizing of the church. Michael Horton, who teaches here at Westminster West, Oz Guinness, David Wells, those names might ring bells. But there were pretty strong critiques that, hey, the gospel of salvation by the blood of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit has been replaced by what? Christian therapy. We're going to therapeutically get people out of their problems as opposed to them repenting trusting in Christ, even in the midst of their crisis and their pain, etc. And so there's been a lot of that. And, and to be honest, some of the Christian psychologists are starting to sober up and realize, hey, we haven't been as biblical as we ought to be. And to credit that, that CCF has tried to work with them. But here's the main point we want to get to. Biblical counseling developments. A CCF... You know, Tim Lane's here, Westminster in Philadelphia, Journal of Biblical Counseling. You, you all know those things, I'm sure, right? I think the journal is now back up and running, only it's now a what online journal. And I have not gotten into that. It's as free. A, it's free, it's okay. Free it is free? Yeah. Okay. So there you have the, the journal. Uh, by the way, that journal used to be the Journal of Pastoral Practice. They used to have articles on evangelism and Greek and Hebrew and cults, everything under the sun, and they couldn't find enough people to keep writing. So they basically then pared it down when 
Jay gave it over to uh, David Pallison. Uh, you know about NANC. I'll wear my NANC shirt tomorrow. National Association of Neuthetic Counselors. Have you heard of NANC? Mm -hmm. Most people have. Okay. NANC was started by CCF. Most people don't know that. CCF was asked back in the said, well, who can counsel? I don't know. Uh, well, who can you recommend? I don't know, but this guy took a course, so that's all I can say. So they thought of a need of trying to certify people, and NANC was that. Now, for reasons that I always thought were screwy, but, you know, John Bettler thought, somebody said, hey, conflict of interest, you've got an accrediting organization that's accrediting yourself. That's not real believable. Of course, Jay Adams' response was, of course we did, you dummy. Everybody credits themselves at the beginning. Do you think the American... You know, medical association, they had to go all through certification at the beginning. No, they just started a process. He says, what's the big deal? But, you know, NANC became separate, and that became significant because NANC went off in a little bit different direction than what CCF liked. And, uh, again, Pallison mentions that in his history. Uh, you've got the master's college and seminary. You're all familiar with John MacArthur, right? And mm -hmm. Uh, they've got an undergraduate degree, and now they have a master's in biblical. Has anybody taken that? Okay, no one in the room has taken that. Okay. But they have those programs. Now, how did that start? Well, at one point, uh, MacArthur was into Larry Crabb. And uh, some guys came out from Faith Baptist in Lafayette, Indiana, who had been influenced by John Bettler and Jay Adams, etc., and they sort of put a bug in his ear and said, look, you know, this isn't as consistently biblical as it needs to be. You need to think this through. So uh, I had the privilege of going up as a representative of NANC and talked to him. And I said, you know, what you really need to do if you want to be really biblical about this is can your psychology department. That was their biggest department. Okay? Biggest major. Can it put it under the Bible department? only person I ever know that ever listened to me was them. <laughs> so they pulled, and they lost a lot of money to begin with, but now their biblical counseling major is their biggest major again. See? So they, they, when MacArthur became convinced that Crabb was well-meaning, but he wasn't consistently biblical, and, and went with this, and then they called out someone from Faith Baptist, uh, Bob Smith, who was a physician, and the rest was history. He started. Wayne Mack came in after it. Now John Street and others are, are up there. I think Ernie Baker's here, right? He teaches you know, up there. As, and uh, Jim Neuheiser does some part-time teaching up there as well. So that's, that's developed. Okay? So when you get an institution behind biblical counseling, that really begins to help. So you have Westminster in Philadelphia that has CCF across the street, and they've got a relationship. You've got the Masters now, SBC, Southern Baptist. Uh, there's three seminaries in uh, the Southern Baptists that are influenced, some more, some less. You've got uh, Southern, where Moeller is, and Stuart Scott's there, Heath Lambert. You've got Southeastern, uh, and then you've got Southwestern down in Dallas, which I still think is the largest seminary in the world, Protestant seminary in the world. Um, and uh, John Babbler is, is down there got smaller reform seminaries uh, where I teach Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary, uh, Greenville, um, Mid-America, others. So we've got, uh, we've got some of these seminaries and, uh, and more and more you've got Bible Baptists out in Clark Summit. You've got other places that are influenced. Got local churches now, Faith Baptist. Oh, excuse me. I'm not being cheeky here. Just strike the Baptist. Okay. They're still Baptistic, but they don't use Baptists in their name anymore, just to be historically correct. It's Faith Church out in Lafayette, Indiana. Um, and I think that's significant as I'll talk in the local why the local church is important. Um, NANC was about to go under, I think, and uh, some of us came up with the uh, idea we need to give it to a local church that'll own it. Faith Baptist was that, and NANC exists today basically because of Bill Good and uh, then Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette, Indiana. RBCTI is a reform 
um, Redeemer Biblical Counseling Training Institute, and INS. You may have heard of that Institute for Neuthetic Studies. That's Jay Adams Group. That's down in South Carolina and more South Carolina. So these developments are there. Other developments influenced by the BCM. So I'm going to leave the last half hour to, to kind of interact with the history. Um, you've got BCF, John Broger. Has anybody heard of them? Okay, some of you have. Uh, Self-confrontation manual. Um, that was influenced. John Broger was in the Pentagon, the head of uh, uh, the uh, information services for the armed forces, Navy, Marines, etc. TV, radio, newspapers. He got into Jay stuff in the early 70s and bored him the felt bore war in uh, Virginia, and uh, the first tapes were done there. Uh, he started his own foundation uh, for lay people counseling, so they've been influenced. IABC by Ed Bulkley, that's been somewhat influenced, so they have a different take. Trinity Theological Seminary, Newburgh, Indiana, which is a correspondence school. And even though they're contrary and antra- antithetical to us at this point, Bob Gans and Hunt have also been influenced by this. Well, here's the, what I want to really get to. Um, you need to evaluate the biblical counseling movement. How are we doing? Is it really significant? I think it is. Let me, let me suggest to you the positives and negatives in terms of the biblical counseling movement, what we've done right, and some of the things that we may need to correct. Here's what I think we've done right. These notes, if you don't want to write them down, will be in your syllabus under the local church. So even if you don't listen to that, you've got these points there. Um, we need to honestly evaluate ourselves in the light of these biblical paradigms. What, what do we learn? Pluses. I think that the biblical counseling movement has been on the right side of the inerrancy and infallibility issue. It's one of the few uh, uh, groups, I think, that has practical impact on people when we say the Bible is the infallible, inerrant word of God. So the next response would be, so what? Right? You guys get up and preach, right? Preach in chapels and... You get them preach, and so people say, well, so what? I mean, if, if that's true, so what? Well, if Jesus is God and there's a judgment day, so what? Repent and believe, okay? So if Jesus Christ really has redeemed you and you have all the power that you need to change, how come you're not changing, okay? So the infallible inerrancy of Scripture doesn't have any practical coinage just as a, as a doctrine that you keep fighting for unless you can show people This is why that's very important. The second thing I think that we have right is the absolute authority of Scripture. And I don't have to tell you, there's not many people that really believe in the authority of Scripture anymore. The emergent church, which I call the submergent church, okay, because it's submerging into oblivion, okay, uh, the sooner the better. Uh, The bottom line is they don't believe in the absolute authority. It's, It's interesting. You may say, well, you know, yeah, there is absolute truth, but we can't know it. I mean, that's the way they function, right? Yeah, there is absolute truth. They're not like a liberal and say, truth keeps changing. No, there is absolute truth. But, you know, if you say you know it, boy, you're an arrogant SOB. How can you possibly say you know that? Say, well, the biblical counseling movement stands correctly say, look, if, if the word of God says it, that settles it. I grew up, I grew up uh, with a saying in my little Baptist church. God said it. I believe it, that settles it. Well, guess what? Take that middle one out. God said it, I don't care whether I believe it or not, that settles it, right? I mean, you know, God's a majority. He's right, and and, and we we got that right. Thirdly, the sufficiency and superiority of Scripture. From CCF and all their sophisticated stuff down, you know, to the the rest of us kind of plain old guys, we just believe the Bible is sufficient. You know why? Well, what was the church doing for 2,000 years? Now, I like NANC. I'm involved in it. I helped start it. You know? But people say, should I join NANC? Yes, to help the movement. Why? Well, you don't really need it. They sort of get mad at me at headquarters because you know, the church got along for 2,000 years without NANC. You know, do we really need NANC? Get don't say that. Okay. Okay. Quality control is good, but my point is, okay, we, we, we 
have the superiority and sufficiency of Scripture. One of the things we did, fourthly, is whole family units. Intuitively, from the beginning, you know, whoever, whoever was involved, we wanted in the room. We don't want to talk behind people's back or anything else. Even if the husband's the one with the problem, we want the wife there to, to know what we're saying, hold accountability, etc. And I think we did that right. Uh, biblical ecumenism. Uh, we really, you know, we got uh, dispensational Baptists and Reformed Presbyterians, and we got all kinds of people. It's a really good, you know, and we had no problem, you know, giving over uh, IBCD as Presbyterians to give it over to, to, to Jim and the elders here at uh, Grace Bible. Uh, six, every member ministry. Everybody should be competent to counsel parents with their kids, uh, people with one another, etc., etc. We, we had that right. Seven, kind of a prophetic stance against politically correct thinking. Probably wouldn't say it that way, but politically correct thinking in terms of psychology. Well, Freud says, you know, or Clyde Naramore says, you know, I mean, Jay, Jay may not have always been as gentle as he could have been, but, you know, Jay goes, yeah, but the Bible doesn't say that. If the Bible says, where does it say build up your self-esteem? You know, th- don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Okay? So uh, good exegesis, a prophetic stance against this political correct. Now, minuses, too great an emphasis on individual responsibility to the neglect, I think, of the interface of the individual with family, church, and state. In other words, because we're coming against secular psychology, I think... The biblical counseling movement hasn't always thought, well, what's this mean for the church? We talk about church discipline, so we get there. But what about preaching? What about the ordinances or, or the sacraments? What about, you know, uh, deacons? You know, we, don't, we really don't have how the church should be fully involved, okay, as well as we could. A second thing, parachurch models versus the local church. This is, again, not to throw stones at anyone because I was involved in it. But looking back now, Tim's here, so I'm not trying to be offensive. CCF is what? It's parachurch. Okay? The whole movement started out as parachurch, you know, which, which is good and bad. It, it really doesn't come under the authority as it ought to, okay? Um, three, a professional medical model versus pastoral model. Uh, and again, I was on the board for many years at CCF, and I would say to him, you know, if you walk like a duck, you quack like a duck, you fly like a quack, duck, you're going to get sued like a duck. And sure enough, they eventually got sued. Why? Because they're doing biblical counseling, but when you have a licensed psychologist and you're getting third-party payments for it, this is an inner thing, it's not casting stone. In principle, that's why when we became IBCD. I said, that's it. We're not charging anymore. I don't hit up people for money for an you know, evangelistic Bible study. I don't, I don't ask, you know, pass the hat around. You know, so contributions. So, you, 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 so our constant prayer is, Lord, don't give us too much. Don't give us too little. You know, that prayer from Proverbs 30. But uh, again, professional medical model versus pastoral model. Four, minimal doctrinal standards versus rigorous confessional standards. Now, again, some of you don't come from, you know, traditions. But, you know, even your Calvary chapels, you have doctrinal statements. So that's all I'm saying, a doctrinal statement. When, when the biblical counseling movement started out, we took a doctrinal statement that was pared down, in my opinion. What it was was the NAE, National Association of Evangelical Statement. Now, you go read that, and as I read it, I go, Skip, what were you thinking? What were we thinking? Because you look at that, and I look at it right now, and I go, I know Roman Catholics that could sign that. Nank's statement, okay? And, and uh, you know, there, there's a problem there in terms of being minimalist. And, uh, again, I think that becomes problem. Five, the exaltation of every member ministry to the neglect of ordained officers. Okay? You know, uh, again, we don't want the don't touch the Lord's anointed kind of thing, like, hey, it's my way or the highway. But on the other hand, ordained authority is real. This is God's army. This, excuse me. 
sort of bad metaphor for a Navy guy, but you know, it's God, God's armed forces, okay? It's God's armed forces, right? And, and when, he, when he ordains an officer, that's not chump change. You know, and, and you've all been in, been in churches, you know, where people want to run the show. And they, and they, they look at the pastor and go, who's, who's he think he is? Well, just go read stuff about Moses, you know, and Miriam. You know, that'll cut down your complaint about the pastor, hopefully. But again, I think uh, that's a problem. Independency versus uh, mutual accountability and academic models to the neglect of pastoral models. So that's just some of my rambling thoughts on that. But back to our, to our syllabus notes, uh, particularly. Uh, some of me have asked before. Here's my take, just real simple. Read Pallison's book. Most of it's accurate. Okay? I'm in the book, not very much, but you know, I, I lived through it. My real concern, and I've got extensive notes, and I tried to do this Honestly, I've got a whole set of notes on Pallison's uh, evaluation of Jay Adams, etc. And uh, I'm not sure, and I say this as gently as I can, that Dave got everything accurately. Uh, I, I think uh, partly because uh, the differences between Jay Adams and John Bettler and some people in the movement were there at the very beginning. But as, as they worked themselves out over time, uh, they became clearer and clearer. Uh, there's just some things that I would like to correct in Dave Pallison's book, and, and I don't want to bore you with a lot of details. But uh, I do think that um, the dictum that the winners always get to write history. There's a little bit of that there. Uh, again, I'm not against CCEF and love what the guys do mainly, but I don't think that they have been totally fair to Jay Adams. On the contrary, I've told them that. And I've told Jay that I don't think he's been fair to them. Uh, but in Christian circles, and CCF is an example in the biblical counseling movement, uh, people have not been willing to take their differences to the table and discuss them, and they move off. We're still sinners. And uh, I, I do think from the day one, uh, Bettler and the guys at CCF have always been, in a good sense, concerned about motivation. But when they say that Jay Adams is, is basically a behaviorist, I think they're all wet. Uh, <laughs> There were two articles that were put in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, and I've told them that I think it was irresponsible the way they did it. And that comes up in Lambert's book, because Lambert says things like this. You know, um, he says that uh, having identified the biblical theological problem of Adam's understanding, Welsh points out the practical difficulty. And then he goes on to the Schwab article, he basically accepts them as gospel truth. There's exegetical problems in both of those articles. And I, and I told Ed, Ed Welsh this years ago, and, and I would just like to simply and gently say, I think they didn't get it right when they criticized Jay. I took the time to read through everything that Jay wrote in his New Testament commentaries, Christian counselors, New Testament commentary and Book of Proverbs. And almost everything that Jay is criticized for not saying are in those commentaries. When it comes up in the particular passage that he's going over. So to say that Jay Adams' view of flesh really leads to behaviorism is, I think, my own personal opinion, ludicrous. Now, Lambert, interestingly, is trying to be fair so you'll see in the back of him, you have an appendix, okay? Um, and in this appendix is what? Jay's response. Jay's response, which was not put in. So what you have is one issue of the Biblical Counseling Journal, Ed Welsh criticizing Jay's view of Sarks, why it necessarily leads to behaviorism. Okay? Jay's response to that was printed, but it was edited. 
None of his arguments were included. It was just that I disagree. And then on the next page is Schwab's article criticizing Jay. And uh, I said to David, I said, I think that's irresponsible for you to edit edit out his answer. So Heath tries to be fair by putting the whole unedited article in here so you can read for yourself whether Jay is wrong, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, a little more fairness. Uh, Someone has pointed out, and I won't use the strong language because I think it's inflammatory, but Heath, Heath Lambert, when he did, this is his doctoral thesis for Southern. You know who his advisor was? David Pallison, which someone pointed out, <clears throat> I don't, a little inflammatory, says, that's academic incestuousness. <laughs> they didn't have anybody at Southern that really knew the movement well enough. So Lambert's doing it basically on, and it's really basically palace and a little bit Welsh and trip, but uh, second generation. So uh, I guess my, my uh, overall critique of the movement is because we have not had a clean model that starts with the local church, you know, the whole thing, which is where we're moving more now. There's some inherent problems. Do you charge for counseling? Do you get third-party payments? I don't think these are sinful in and of themselves, but there are disagreements, and that's okay. But to sit down and talk about them, I think, is is very important. Um, I do believe that uh, my evaluation is simply this. Jay Adams and myself, at times, are a little too caustic in the way we come across. But Jay Adams' theology is too positive. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Don't forget, Jay Adams, like it or not, comes out of Reformed theology. There really wouldn't be biblical counseling if it wasn't for Reformed theology. But one thing uh, Reformed theology understands is that we're what? Sinners. Paradigm. Jeremiah 17, right? Now, here's what Jay says. And this is the, I, I think this is the irony. No one else has pointed this out. I don't know if I'm accurate, but Jay goes, you've been born again. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word. You need to change. And you can. Why aren't you changing? You must change. You're a new creature in Christ. It's too positive. I cannot, I will tell you how many times people have come up to me and quote the Heidelberg Catechism or something else. Don't you know that people are just miserable sinners and then in this life we only make little incremental steps toward godliness and, and I go, cut me a break. You know? Uh, no, there's no perfection. That is absolutely certain. There's no perfection this side of heaven. But people can grow in grace because they have the Holy Spirit. They don't have to Okay, and it's not always miraculous in a sense. Okay, do people walk away from 30 years of cocaine abuse sober? Yes. Is that the norm? Not always. It's the Romans 7 and 8. Okay? But people can grow and they do grow out of this. So in that sense, it's really intriguing to me. The personal ambiance is, oh, it's too harsh. Okay, but you know, people, I've had people say, Jay expects too much. He expects too much. See? And, and so I, I think some of that's going on. Well, let me wrap up and let you ask some questions here in the last few minutes. The biblical counseling movement, I think, is significant. The church has existed without it for millennia. But like the Protestant Reformation, it is a call to fidelity to the gospel and to the scriptures. The biblical counsel movement may be used of God to help the church as it struggles with the worldly influences and the dying embers of Western civilization. The flesh accomplishes nothing. It is the risen Christ through his word and spirit that transforms people and changes them. Now I'll tell you this after 40 years plus in this. If the Holy Spirit doesn't do it, you're not going to be able to do it. This is absolutely supernatural at the, at the deepest root. Without the Holy Spirit, you will not only get nowhere, 
people will get worse. Now, most people don't say that. Because when people are exposed to the living God, they will either run toward Him or run away from Him. And biblical counseling can be very dangerous in that sense. It can harden people. But your job is not to convert people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Your job is to love them and to be gentle and kind, but to lay the Word of God on them. And it is more sophisticated than we have ever made it out to be. Because people change from week to week, and you change, and in that given moment, the Holy Spirit has to enable you to apply the Word of God. But this stuff is really important because it gives you tools to try to interact with people. It's not just get saved and everything will be okay. You know, it really is the tools of discipleship. Okay, any questions on this before? Yes? Um, back to what you said about James, someone was telling you it doesn't work. Um, have you documented through IBCD or CCEF um, cases, many cases, I hope, testimonies of people that it has worked? Yeah, we have testimonies. But here's, but here's, here's the thing. People have always asked, well, what's your recidivism rate, you know, or what's your rate of success? And uh, this sounds like you're talking out of two sides of your mouth. How can you measure the Holy Spirit? But if we ask everybody in this room, we've all been transformed. Right. That's right. And so you have those, you have those on, yes, we have those records where people who have been uh, transsexual or people have been homosexual or people have been cocaine addicts. You know, our people have been uh, money mongers. Uh, you know, we have those testimonies of, of God's transforming grace in their lives. Uh, but, you know, in terms of statistically, you know, that's a real difficult. I'll tell people, I think it's, I count everybody that walks through the door. The people only come once, the people come full bore. I don't know what to say, maybe 25%. You know, you have it like the parable of the sower. Some people don't respond at all. Some get an emotional response. Some start outwardly, maybe join the church or whatever, but no fruit. And then you have some 40, 60, 100 fold. So the gospel does divide as well as... But yeah, we all have testimonies that we can tell you. Now some people criticize, and I think that's legit, why in competent counsel did Jay not even talk about the failures? Well, I don't think nobody I know that really talks about failures when you're trying to convince people of something. You know, but you know, later on we've admitted that there are people who walk away and you know, won't won't respond. But now it's talked about in the Bible, people have walked away. So. Right. Well I to point that out in my intro course Jesus didn't run after the rich young ruler. Wait a minute, wait a minute, a deal, a deal. Savior now, Lord later. Six month trial. No. It said he loved him but I would believe that's why he let him walk away. Because he would not have him come to him on any other terms but God's terms. Right. You, don't, you, you come to God on God's terms, not in your terms. And because he loved him, he wouldn't compromise. So. Okay, well let's... Per- yes, sir? So that red book has the articles from the journal you were talking about? No, it doesn't have the articles. You can, you can get those. What it has is the unedited response that Jay Adams made to the 17 points that Ed Welsh made of why his view of Sarks, okay, comes back. And that that interchange was in those articles that were in the Journal of Biblical Counseling? Well, yeah, it was the edited version of Jay's response that was in the journal. The full thing was never put there. And I, I believe Dave Pallison did it just as, not deliberate, it was just an oversight. Well, Jay doesn't agree, so I'll just put in there he doesn't agree, you know, but it really took the, the heart of it out, I think. Where can I get those articles from? That's a good, good. Everything's proprietary anymore, so you'll have to ask Tim Lane how you can get them. If you live somewhere where you have a theological library that has that on record, you can access those, you know, from, from the journals. Okay? So, you know... I just told Ed, come on, overlapping Ritter-Bossian view of the two ages. Come on. And you say in the article, uh, 
I really don't know quite what flesh really means, but I know it isn't what Jay says. I said, come on, come on, Ed, that's shabby scholarship. How in the world could you do that, you know, with a straight face? But you know, who am I? You know, I'm just some punk from Philadelphia. You know, so. Well, let's pray before we go. Father in heaven, we do pray that you'd bless us, and we do pray that you'll help us, myself included, and especially me, Lord, because I can deal with me, that we would really uh, begin to rethink uh, some things and really wrestle through this whole issue of, Lord, how do people really change? We know that their heart and their head and their hands have to change. It can't be just outward. It can't be just inward. So give us the kind of balance that we need and help the biblical counseling movement to progress and grow. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2012, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.